I've worked at three different museums now and two galleries. That's where our connection really, like, I think took a, took yeah. its own form. Oh, no, when I learned that you were, like, an art baby, I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, yes. How do we get you involved with everything? We need to hang out. We need to talk about everything yes. all the time. And now we Living are an aesthetic life. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of I Don't Think We've Met. I'm your host, Ren, of Humanity Reframed. And today on the show, we have a very special guest, my good friend, my mentor, my inspiration, Rodnina Hart. Rodnina is the Division Director of the United States Museums. She is also well-known in the community as an art mogul, as a creative, as a talented being, and just an overall amazing joy of a person to be around. I'm so excited that she agreed to film an episode of the podcast with me. We met up a few weeks ago at Roca's Pizzeria to talk everything from the global implications of technology in the art world to socialism and capitalism and how political movements and events serve as a catalyst for artistic expression. We also talk about contemporary life and relationships, and we had a surprise guest join us. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. I'm the director. Director of Louisiana State Museums? I am the uh, Louisiana State Museum Division Director. That is the whole thing. Did you always know this was something that you wanted to do? Yeah, like my life has had a pretty straight trajectory. Okay. Um, I've known that I wanted to work in arts and culture and have done everything necessary to achieve that. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from like middle, no, yeah, ever since middle school, when I decided I was going to work in the arts, I wasn't sure if I was going to be an artist or an art administrator. Okay. Um, but I wanted to make sure that I understood the craft either way. And so um, in high school, I was the president of the arts club and voted most artistic girl and just my whole life was art and then um, in college I majored in art and uh, understood like best practices and and technique and art history and uh, material culture. Those are a lot of technical skills. A lot of technical skills. And now you're in your master's program. I am. What are you studying in your master's? Business because it's a really good foundation to have. Yeah. And any upward mobility, especially in administration, it's um, good to have in my pocket. True, but you've been in the industry, so after college, you've been in the industry for like over a, almost a decade, I would say. And your own experiences in the arts, have you noticed a shift like in the past 10 years where art has been affected by globalization in the sense that it has become more accessible to people? who may not be able to see it physically. You mean the internet? Yes. <laughs> yes. The popularity of the internet yeah. has made everything much more democratized okay. um, and accessible. You know, the experience that I have is not limited geographically. And if you know that this exists, then you can take advantage of it. And that's a pretty beautiful thing. Um, also, the way that people are finding artists these days has changed in a very pure and visual form 
that did not exist 10 years ago. Like the connectivity globally is pretty amazing. It is. I remember even the shift, I worked in an art gallery for four years and starting in 2016 and ending in 2020. And I remember the shift in like late 2019 mm-hmm. when the now co-director of the gallery, who was my then point person, mm-hmm. would say, I found this really cool artist on Instagram. I'm going to show his work to the team and see what they think about it. And that's exactly. how we were, you know, we were getting really hip artists to come in, artists yeah. from like in the international sector yeah. that we promote on Instagram. And it's just like, it's just changing the way this the way the entire market works and also that means that it's talent forward because being able to be a good business person and being a good artist are not the same skill set so there are a lot of artists who just have the ability and burning desire to create their craft (gasps) we were just Talking about him when I say, okay, let's finish this glass. We're gonna need it. <laughs> your face. When you, I saw your face. I need you to press pause because, like, okay. I'm feeling things. Okay, <laughs> heard that. Hello, future Lauren popping in here to let you know that I effectively did not press pause. I was not a good friend in this moment. Or so it seems. Actually, no. All's well that ends well. Everything worked out just fine. Uh, Tensions were high, but the stakes were higher, and that makes for great content. So, stay tuned. <laughs> hey, Brian. Hey. How's it going? Pretty good. What's all into? Podcast and a podcast. Want to say who you are? Hop on the track for a sec. Yeah, come on. Cool people. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you want me invited to the podcast? If you don't want him on the podcast, you should. No, he's still on podcast. Okay. No, no, that wasn't the Lover Bug. His existence in the space is But he does live on Lover's Lane. Space But before he comes back, I really want to ask you really quickly. For our audience that views exploring gallery spaces and museum spaces as an antiquated idea, mm-hmm. how do you think art serves as a platform and has served as a platform since really the beginning of humanity? Absolutely. To well, the thing convey is our expressions, our convey our feelings, and document our progression as a So having a visual medium, just like music, it creates a commonality that does not have barriers. Um, You're not limited, uh, with the exception of, you know, those who don't have all five senses. If you can experience the art, if you can experience the space, then you can understand in a, a transcendent way that this does not, it's not specific to your culture, it's not specific to your background or your experience. It's just something that resonates with you. That shared experience. Shared it's experience. It's like the foundation of it though, I feel, because if it's like, if you don't like this specific artistic style or this sure. artist's work is not speaking to you, there's so many others exactly. to choose from and explore. Yeah. Like, and bouncing back to the internet facilitating that, right? That's what we're talking about. Precisely. We're talking about art and culture and the way that everyone experiences the thing and like everyone has a unique yet shared experience. So we're talking like past language barriers, past right. socioeconomic barriers, yeah. and how it's transcended time to stay relevant because like I'm noticing there are a lot of trends right and I think of course. trends are just inherently designed to I mean for profit but not art necessarily is no 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 because you have to think like mm-hmm. trends just mean that there are people in the same wavelength cre- and, and they're creating in the same ways mm-hmm. and maybe they're friends maybe they're just fans um, but the trend is kind of just a natural thing that's not necessarily stoked by 
the, the my income. Mm-hmm. It sometimes it's just this is how we resonate with the world. Right. Like, so it's like born at, of influence, but what's the end result? Somebody's getting paid. Sometimes, but yeah. like think about like brutalism, right? So we're thinking Russian brutalism. These people are going through a very difficult time in their lives. They're creating these buildings that are directly reflecting their experiences. Is Russian so, brutalism, is that like an artistic period? It's a, uh, a movement? architectural movement. Architectural movement. Yeah, okay. it's a lot of concrete walls, a lot of sharp lines, a lot of thick boundaries. Uh-huh. And you think about that in a socioeconomic way, and it's like, yes, that's that's definitely the kind of world that would facilitate these kinds of, of, of architecture. Yeah. So I, I can't say that trends are so economic. They're more a result of a lived experience and a shared experience. It's crazy you say that because you mentioned Russia, but I think about countries resulted from the Arab Spring. happened in early 2011. Yeah. A lot of protests and demonstrations happened as a result of people were just revolting against the oppression they were facing in these countries and artistic forms of expression that were like fairly I hate to say crass but like we're talking like graffiti we're talking right. like viscerally creating exactly yes. to express themselves and so you look back you look back at it and it's like these were hallmarks of the time but you also think about like think of what what's happening in America that kind of precipitated the Arab Spring and that was um the, uh, the the Wall Street um, protests. Mm, so, yeah, yeah. So that was in the common lexicon of like the way that people were experiencing uh, society and and power structures. Yes. But it was also kind of hollow in America because we're warring against something that is our entire system of existence. Capitalism. Capitalism. Like you can't be mad at it and then purchase something. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Like, you can't go and buy the the piece of paper and the marker and the stick and then write your protest and be completely anti-capitalism because you just bought this thing. Like, you which are touch- engaging in commerce. Exactly, which I think touches on the fact that humans are always going to look for something to kind of rally against. But at the end of the day, I think it's... What's left out of the discussion is just how much our purchasing power matters yes. and how much the money sitting in our bank account that isn't being quote-unquote spent yes. is actually being spent by these oh, huge companies. Absolutely it is. I mean, but but that's the and way that our system works right now. Yeah. Capitalism can't exist in the same world as, as socialism. Like, there can be a level of it. There can be an understanding of, like, this is the... These are the the values of how we are understanding. But ultimately, Mm -hmm. there's no pure concept in a capitalist world. You can't have it. Like, I can't vote with my dollars. I can't... You know, did you watch... um, 13th? No. uh, The Good Place. Yes! I loved it. I loved it so much. Here you go, Brent. Do you want to try it? It's very good. Yeah. Um, So... Good Place. Did you watch Good Place? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, so you saw, like, in the the last season, or second to last, it's virtually impossible for there to be any pure good person, period. Yes. And I love the messy nature of contemporary life, especially in America, and how we can have our values and we can make choices that lead toward that, but ultimately, we're still building on and... and um, we are encouraging this this dynamic that we can't really get out of. Yeah. Um, Which is, I feel like we've promoted in society that 
in talking about how people rally for like democratic socialism, for example, sure, like Bernie Sanders, for sure. Example. sure. I mean, we like he's drawing from a, a lot Bernie of. Bro? Hmm? Are you a Bernie bro? Yes. He's, he drew from so many of Polanyi's ideals. Like, back when the bad. market system was, like, literally formed. Yeah. There were subsidies to wages yes. that these institutions promoted to help people who weren't so making enough. Money. But at the end of the day, the same thing was happening then as it is now. The same thing was happening in the 18th century as it is right now. Exactly. Which is people are like, why should I go out and work and slave for a living when I can get a check? So we see the same thing happening now. Okay, so I, I've heard that people right now are like, there's no one who wants to work, and it's horrible, and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. People don't want to work for, like, slave wages. People want to live for, work for a living wage. And if a job pays that, they're not having the same kind of struggles in keeping people employed as they are with some of these menial jobs where we feel that this person doesn't deserve a living wage. That's true, but or to live on this planet. But at the same time, they offer like they have caps. You have to you have to make below a certain amount to qualify for income subsidies. So it kind of encourages people to stay in a jar that they technically can fly out of. It does. It does. Like it does de-incentivize a lot of things. But if people can have upward mobility, the vast majority will take advantage of that. It's opportunity. That it's is opportunity. Lacking. They don't talk about it. Agreed because, and this is from my perspective of things, when it comes to me, y'all's version of art is way outside of my wheelhouse. My art comes in the form of drinks and cocktails. So when it comes to me, it's like when I'm working and a guest says, hey, can you make me just something completely random and different and new? Yes. Okay, I can try my best, but if you just say those exact words, I won't know where to go. And I'll start putting things together that I think will work together. And it may be this new type of drink that you may or may not like, but I won't know until you take that first sip. And sometimes that's a dangerous thing because if you just say those words exactly and give me no guidelines, no rules or stipulations, I one time made a full drink uh, for three sets of women and they all loved it, except for one woman who said, oh, I can't drink that. There's pineapple juice. And it's like, oh, you don't like pineapple? No, no, no. I'm allergic. And I can go into anaphylactic shock. I was like... Reasonable information you should have shared at the beginning of this conversation. Yeah. So guidelines are good in a sense, not because... There's an old saying that freedom can stifle creativity in some people. And if I'm giving too much of a, like, a free reign of everything with so many options, it's more difficult for me, at least, in my world. In the world of art itself, I could assume being given full creativity and, like, roaming freedom can be good in most situations. But from time to time, a small guideline is set there just to say, hey, if you've got a time limit on it, get as much done as possible or get what you think is the best you can do in this time period. In this time period. And so that's the thing. It's like striving for excellence all the time is unsustainable. And I've had to learn to rather give something like 80% of my effort and know that if I consistently hit 80, then it'll be easier to hit 90 without trying to always hit 100 off the bat. And putting myself in these like unrealistic modes where like life gets in the way. It's good to have parameters because it helps you understand how to exist outside of pure creativity. There are so few opportunities in which pure creativity is an option. That's true. And you often don't want that. Like, I have absolutely created uh, commission paintings that people hated. Hated. They were like, oh, we want you to do this portrait, but, you know, go crazy and do that. And so I did, and they were just like, uh... 
Yeah, that wasn't what I was envisioning. Yeah, like they gave and me full creative autonomy and expect it to be what, what they, they want. want. Yeah, <laughs> with, with no guidance. Wow. And then the same thing has happened with exhibitions that I've put together. Um, because I'm taking these these things that are like their creative makings and I am interpreting an entire space for it. Yeah. And it can or cannot be the thing that they also have envisioned. Yeah. Because you're never going to have free reign. No, I will. I will qualify have some kind of parameter. I will qualify that statement and say, in America, because here's the thing: when I lived in Brussels, right. I walked in there and I was dating a guy. We met in a university residence because I'd gone for a university scholarship initially. And when I moved there, I was always at the residence he lived at. And we would always catch up. Yeah. I did not understand their way of schooling in that there is no such thing as an assignment. Well, assignments are far and few between. Okay. The bulk of your grade, like 65% of your grade, is the final exam. Okay. Maybe even 70% of your grade. Some professors don't even give you any assignments the whole entire semester. There's no reading, there's no discussion paper, yeah. there's no podcast, there's but no there not an expectation. There's an expectation you that you need to know of all of this because yes. you don't know what I'm going to put on an exam. And the incentive there, which is quite interesting to me, and now I know it, yeah. is that because it's a socialist country, yeah. education is accessible for all, meaning it's like 800 euros right. a year. Yeah. The problem with that, from their perspective, from the perspective of the Belgian, is that because it's so accessible, they have to set a higher standard to pass the exams because otherwise everyone would pass. So they, they fail students almost purposely because that means that if they retake the year, they get another 800 euros to keep it going. Sure. But probably that second time, you absolutely know what is what your expectations are. One but hope. the thing is that that is not, that's the same thing of giving you parameters and expectations, there's a certain amount of information that you have to know. But just less guidelines about what's going to be. less guidance to get right. there. Right. So here in America, we're giving you the whole roadmap. We give you the study guide. Exactly. And, the book and, and the I remember thing. them telling me, great. like, this American education you have, it's so easy. And I, my boyfriend would trivialize That's my experience, and I did not understand give why. You all of the work. Like, exactly. Yeah. And so by the end of the exam, students are resentful if something was on the exam that we weren't prepared for. And, like, right. we. Yes, absolutely we do because that's the system we've set Been up. Raised we exactly. have very intentionally made it to where there, it's this is gonna be difficult enough that if we don't know this information, we're not going to succeed. Yeah. It's all about the bubble we've been shaping, which I love conversations like this because it's not about one person being right or wrong. Oh, no, it's just no, like no. It everyone is has wrong. So cool. It's so cool to explore that. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Me too, actually. Where we have our bubble, everybody else has their own bubbles that they live in. It's like we're all the main characters in our own movie. Exactly. We, of course, are. And it's so crazy. And if you're to... not, then you're doing your movie wrong. But you know what's so crazy? Sometimes I have these out of... You're doing your movie wrong. Hire another director. Alex Mulder. No, but T. That was sad. Did you hear what happened? I did. Yeah. I mean, and... and why would you shoot a fail? But why would you shoot a it happens. But what was it? I bet you was like trigger happy and then no props fail. Like that is a real, real thing. And sometimes like a blank if you shoot like that's how uh, Brandon Lee died. There was a uh, Bruce Lee's son. There was a Bruce Lee's son died. Yeah, Out of all the Brandon stunts Lee. that Bruce Lee performed and survived, yeah, he died by bullet by a blank bullet because it was shot too close to him. Like these things happen. Oof. I thought the Alec Baldwin thing though was that it was a real gun with a real bullet. That was a real gun. It wasn't even a prop gun. But it was supposed to be a prop. 
Yeah. Like, I'm be. sure that he would never have shot somebody. Uh, are you sure? Yeah. Do you know Alec Baldwin? Have you been to his house? Have you seen him at his I'm worst? I'm pretty sure that he doesn't want this kind of publicity. Right, he doesn't want this kind of publicity, but I'm saying, I bet you, I mean, I've seen it. I think so. People get with a little bit of power in their heads and they no feel a little empowered. Shoot someone and kill them. No one wants to do that, but why would you even pull the trigger? Question, in my mind. They, they, they were in the middle of the Have you ever seen a man with a gun? They get sick. Exactly, 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 That's exactly. What they do. <laughs> I mean, especially men with a gun. I mean, everyone with a gun. Like, if I have a, a toy gun, I'm going pew, pew. Like, that happens. All I can think of is the green water gun emoji yes. that they were. <laughs> Yeah, they replaced the pistol with in 2017. <laughs> but I mean, that's the reality of of being in these fake moments. Like, okay, so as an actor, you are taught to emote and do everything that is so realistic to convince every single one who is watching there, watching then, watching now, watching in the future, that you are present and this is a real experience. Experience that has very little overlap in reality other than portrayed. So it's interesting that you mention that because I've been, I've been toying with this idea for a lot that as humans, do we seek opportunities that are familiar? Do we fall in love with familiarity more than we do what's what's actually happening because I see a lot of you see a lot of these Hollywood relationships they film a movie they film a sex scene they fall in love it makes me wonder if that proximity to that person or that closeness with that person creates a false sense of admiration love lust whatever you want to call it we absolutely continually try to make connections like that's just the human way and as so, social creatures, it's like one of the main things to do is to expand your network as much as you feel comfortable. Right. And once you've found that limit, you stay there and you try to keep those connections as well kept as possible. Yeah. But a lot of them end up being very romanticized of what one person perceives as this is what I think is happening, this is what I think should happen, right. compared to the other person's cognition of where they may think, oh, where one person may think, oh, this person is totally in love with me slowly and surely, mm-hmm. and we will be together forever. Yeah. The other person may see it as... That was fun. This, this, is a, this is a great group partner, and they've done really good work, and I yeah. appreciate them, and I want to show them by giving them a box of chocolate. Yeah. Or something like that. Life is like a box of chocolate, so because that's the thing with love and romance, and like everything is so romanticized for money, because we live in a capitalist society. It always comes back to that, right? But at the end of the day... Love and marriage don't necessarily go together like a horse and carriage. No. Marriage was an institution I'm, I'm designed to build generational wealth. There is no such thing as monogamous love. We are our instincts as humans. Yes. When we compare ourselves to every other being in the animal kingdom, even elephants who can remember and mourn their loved ones. Do you really think they fall in love? They like have the imprint on someone like a werewolf in Twilight. I I can't say that (laughs) that is not a thing that exists. Like there are people who are completely fulfilled in the novel. And then please introduce us. I want to meet them. My parents. They're weird and gross. They are. (laughs) They love each other. They like call each other all the time. They talk about each other when the other one's not around. There are other people in this world. Like, like speak highly. Your <laughs> own daughter. Also, just whatever. But no, like, they are very much so in love and have been in their entire adulthood. And that's good for them. 
and it's great for many people. I don't know, hearing that, it just, it, it makes me feel so safe and warm inside, but at the same time, I have that little voice in the back of my mind that's like, you will never have that. That is unattainable for you. As a society, we're moving away from interpersonal connection and towards cold, hard tech. Like, I have this, like, there's this staunch divide. If that's what you want. It's not what I want. That's why the voice is telling me. Like, if you are seeking something specific, you can often find that specific thing. It may take some more time. A lot of attraction. Not even manifestation, all that spiritual stuff. It's literally a lot of attraction. Like, if you are dating with the intent of being with a person forever, and that is your goal, you have a higher likelihood of finding that person who wants to be with you forever. So maybe I've single for so long because I've been telling myself I won't find them. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> you're you going to have find so me. many trolls. <laughs> you're going to have creepers. I'm going to have to, like, move you into my house to protect you from I the trolls. I would gladly book great that are. Oh, see, I just made it worse. <laughs> That's the crazy thing with love. It's like sometimes it hits you like a ton of bricks. You see that person, you no, just it doesn't. know. Nope. It happened to me. I'll never forget my ex. I'll never forget first this love. day. No, not first love. My first love was a great guy, and honestly, he was arguably the best boyfriend I've ever had. I look back on it. I hope he's listening to this right now. Shout out to you. You know who you are. You're great. <laughs> <laughs> but the Thank second. You. The second boyfriend I had, I remember I met him in an elevator my second day of university residence after I had been kidnapped by Italians and gotten back safely. It was like 4 p.m. And I'm walking in the residence. That's a long day. It was, yeah. a, it was a long day. Yeah. And it was my trusting and naive tape, and I just put it on the internet. But they returned me. I, I convinced them to return me because I told them that my mom would go crazy and come to the embassy and totally find them and track them down, which she would have done. Oh, so I would, would you know it. I would, I would fund that. Sign up a good one for Pam to go and track yes. Warren down. But I remember Warren. he came out of the elevator and the first thing he said to me was, do you like my pineapple short? He didn't even say shorts. He said short and he was wearing pineapple boxers. And I just remember being like, did you just... Ask like, me if I like yes, your pineapples. Yes, yes I, I do. do. Yeah. And I went upstairs and I just it just hit me and I haven't felt that yeah. since 2018. That encounter. Oh, such a long time ago. That's when I, I really want like... everyone to like look at the the, <laughs> the time that we are recording this and understand how short of a time frame that was. And also that she is super young, and she'll figure it. We're out. not gonna, yeah, we're not gonna ex- exploit my age right now. But I'm doing that. I'm not doing. I, you're totally not. But it's crazy when I'm with certain people, I embody child energy. When I'm with certain people, I turn it on, and it's like I'm 40. Yeah. And then with you, I feel like I'm just my most authentic self. Yeah. And I love. Well, that. I mean, that is our dynamic. If you were not, we'd have a real conversation. She would call me out on it, I think, at this point, yeah. you know. I'd be like, who is this person? I don't know her. Just like that. I love friends like that. Call me out on my I think the thing about, like, being an adult is knowing when you're allowed to be a child. Yeah, I like that. Was that. Awesome. I like that. It's, it's, it's an understanding of, like, there are certain parts in the day and in your life that you have to, like, actually be a fully functioning adult with yes. responsibilities, cares, management skills. But at a certain point with certain people, you are allowed to let all that go for a bit and not worry about it and just be your childlike self just enjoy life a little bit. Like running in the rain and it's like, I feel like a kid again. Let's, never forget. Let's not, not run in the rain. That causes pneumonia, but... <laughs> Does it really? That is such an old 
have ever said. You do not catch pneumonia from the brain. When That's I was, not how that works. When I was born, I was 37 years old. Obviously. <laughs> Benjamin Button. I remember a couple weeks ago, you told me, Ronina, that you told me, like, Lauren, don't rush it. It's adulthood is overrated. It's so overrated. That has just stayed with me since oh my you said god, it. god, I'm glad I told you that. I hope I continue to give you great advice your entire adulthood. And I want you to not take yourself too seriously. I want you to enjoy all of this time. I do not want you in a committed relationship until you're 30. I want Sign you up. to have your best <laughs> life. I want you to travel. Anytime someone says, like, hey, let's go travel, you say yes. So here's the thing. And, I, and I, I, I made a vow to myself, what was it, like a couple of months ago, that I would never, and I mean, when I say never, I mean for the rest of my life. Well, I think we're going to sign off and go eat some food. I think that sounds fantastic. Let's do it. Yeah, but this has been a vibe. I hope you guys have enjoyed the ride. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of I Don't Think We've Met. Bye. Bye.